0: Welcome to the Ivy Podcast. We're just two aunties sharing our experience through the lens of one Blackfoot woman and one Anishinaabe woman. And we are Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit based in Montana and Arizona. We are 100% Indigenous led, and this is our podcast. Check us out at indigenousvision.org to learn more about our work, make a donation, or play back any of our radio shows and this episode.
1: Hello and welcome to the Indigenous Vision Podcast. This is officially episode 109, the very first of 2024. My name is Melissa. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Suta. How have you been doing, Suta? There's so much to go over in the very short time that separated us from the last podcast. It's only been like two weeks, but a lot has gone down.
0: Yeah, it's been, it's funny because I think when it was august we were like it's gonna slow down soon and uh no i think i had uh november was my like my epa document deadline that spilled over into december i just got my first review back of it yesterday and i'm about to dig into it and start answering there's still like some lab questions around the heavy metals and the genetics that i need to look into the quality control processes of those and Otherwise I had my son's birthday. He's been in he, seven beautiful winters with him. My life has, is wow. just different, you know, being a mother in a whole big, beautiful way. And I think I've always been a mother. <laughs> I, I mother, my friends, it's just my natural personality. Um, and so it's really nice to have a child to like, just dote on and, and celebrate and think about and, Think about their future. He wants to go to architecture school and that's expensive. So.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. I've also been reflecting on him because I remember when he was, when you announced that you were pregnant and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really going to happen. And then the pregnancy went on and then it happened, you know, he was born in January. and Then I came to visit like a week after he was born. And now here we are seven years later and we're all like chipping in for like, these epic birthday parties and making sure he has like the best day ever. And it's, it's a lot to contemplate that in the seven years, this whole person has grown and it's really crazy to watch just as an anti perspective even though it's not biological i do have anti feelings towards mm-hmm. him because i've known him since he was pretty much like conceived it's conceived. Yeah.
0: yeah and that's i just you know i really love the support system i was telling was i telling you the other day i think that i'm i'm a single mother but i don't feel like a single mother because of the co-parenting plan that i have set up with his father so we go halves on everything, every recreational activity, every event, um, we're there for Christmas concerts and then we've got both grandmas on each side and then you and auntie, and he's just such a, a lucky little boy. And I feel, I feel really amazing being blessed with such beautiful people around me. Cause I, that's what you hope for when you have a child.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so he's definitely getting the community, perspective and and I he's doing he's doing really good at school. We only have one problem and it's it's uh he's like me and if he sees a problem on the on the playground he'll try to like fix it. And he's a fixer and I'm like oh that could be a dangerous game on and like some things you just need to walk away from and some things you can't fix like you just have to let that person learn and work through it, right? And so, right now, the after school conversations are like, you know, there's a budding bully in the, in the class and and they don't treat people right. And how do they work around it? And do we bring them snacks or do we share lunch or do we include them when, when all of the other kids really don't want to include them? Like, they're, they're, he's doing some cultural humility, like, amongst first graders right now, in, in either trying to cancel call out or call in a young boy who is having some behavior problems
1: that's incredible and You know, I don't see him too often. I see him like maybe once a year if I'm lucky, but the conversations already, I could totally see him navigating the world already from that cultural humility perspective because you've been there teaching it to him. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't know so much about Minecraft. Like I had no idea (laughs) about the world of Minecraft until Onan came into my life and like I had to Google it and I realized just how much of a fandom there is and all of the products emerge. And I was like... I get it. This is kind of like the Barbie thing when I was little. Like, there's just so Mm -hmm. much. It's a huge, big world for them. And I'm really glad that he has a mom like you because he's learning amazing guidance from you at such a young age, you know?
0: Oh, well, it's my my health kind of scares me a little bit. And so I like you know, I do try to put it on a timeline of how much can I put into my child, you know, in the limited time I have. (laughs) And and so like, I mean, we're all, we all have limited time, but you know, when you got scary words in your medical file, it like hits you a little harder. And so, so I'm, I try to temper the amount of, of teaching and then fun stuff but he really I think his relaxing is Minecraft and I really love it too because it teaches them resource and uh, building needs and that's why he wants to be an architecture architect because uh,
1: he's really good at building awesome well happy birthday again to Onan
0: yes I know and thank you for yes the day I became a mother it was a
1: wild day Thank I you. can't even imagine. I <laughs> think I heard the story and I was like, no, nope, I'm kind of glad I wasn't there. Glad. Thank goodness for Strawberry Rockstar. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And we also announced um, our official like big event for the year, which is the MMIW Empowering Retreat that we're having in all women's gathering in Pasco, Washington, a place I've yet to visit. So I'm super excited. We've teamed up with Cola Shipping Tower, who is a personal safety coach. Among so many other amazing badass things that she does, she's going to be pretty much our main partner in this. And we're going to do a two day retreat for young indigenous and two spirited community members in that area. And it's going to be fabulous. So we just announced it. We'll have more details as time goes on. But I'm looking forward to so many things this year, including that, our cultural humility trainings, our trip to Phoenix a couple times this year. It's going to mm-hmm. be a good one.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and congratulations to cola Shippen tower she just became an oregon raven which is the women's football team over there and so like yeah i'm i'm a natural cheerleader and i really love uh you know sports i i do like sporting events especially if i have somebody to cheer on and i know them and so yeah it's just more exciting
1: speaking of congratulations we have to address Lily Gladstone's historic Golden Globe win this past was it Sunday yeah Sunday
0: yes it was beautiful and I think you know everybody everybody was crying because it's really something to see that room of people and then see all of the awards given out before her and everybody was like uh, there's a lot of scary people here. Uh, this room terrifies me. Uh, this is a terrifying room. And I loved that she took it Blackfoot style and she went up there and she does what we do and she laughed off the, the pressure and she introduced herself. Okinu Niksukuax Bitamaki. Bitamaki. Yeah, is her name Eagle Woman. It was really cool to hear our language in front of all those people. Her language teacher, it's funny that I have ne- never knew her when I was little and I had to meet her in college because her language teacher is a guy that would come over to the house and sweat with us. And so, yeah, it was just really cool to see the connection that we had there. Yeah, it's just too bad uh, that you know, the audience could use a little culture humility. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right I saw all those like there were some faces who were just kind of a blank looking being like what is she saying but to hear the blackfeet language spoken out not just amongst the audience in that golden globe arena, but to be broadcast to millions of people who were watching live like that is I've never I've never even seen that before in my life. never I came home from work because I was working that night and, the internet was just blowing up with so much indigenous pride. I was like, did this really happen? I'm like, thank goodness the first time. And it was a, Big win for a lot of people of color. I know that there was the first Korean winner. Um, a lot of Asian people won awards that night, and it just really made me think of like how far that industry has come, and it's taken them unfortunately till twenty twenty four for them to really acknowledge people of color in those roles. But Lily Gladstone, I mean, really setting the bar <laughs> super high, and mm-hmm. justly. I mean, did you see Killers of the Flower Moon? It's it was mesmerizing, mm-hmm. absolutely mesmerizing.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pretty phenomenal movie. And I really love that, you know, I think I don't, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who are like, it would have been better if, and I just, oh, you know, goodness. those, you know, those kinds of people really upset me. Like I, there's a lot of critics, but until they pick up the work and do it themselves, they, they can't really say anything. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of critics about my work, but there's nobody doing the work with me. And, and the people that I really take in the criticism, like the constructive criticism from you know, even if it's, you know, wrapped in a little bit of disrespect, I'll still try to really listen and peel back those layers and try to think of what they're saying to me and how I could make it better. But everybody will talk. I forget the exact saying, but everybody has something to say, but if they're not doing what you're doing, then, you know, it's support or it's uh, lack of support. I think is what it goes into is it can it only be supportive or lack of support. And I think if you're like, Oh, I wish somebody more Brown or <laughs> a full blood won it. Like wow. we are, we are native and in all of the different ways we are Native, if you know history and you know how history played out and the concepts of intermarriage, tribal intermarriage, uh, French fur trapper intermarriage, and that's not Métis. That's just French fur trappers being the first people out into the West Country and marrying into Blackfoot and Shoshone. Métis is a whole different uh, section. And for the most part, I feel like there's the Métis that are amongst the Blackfoot. Are, they call themselves the Little Shell. And um, they are their own tribe here in Montana. They just got recognized. And uh, I don't know. I, I I have a lot of trouble with people telling people negative things, especially if the, the commenter is not doing any action at all. And then on top of that, I... I think that all action is good action. So even if you're sitting at home in this podcast, like we are, and you're talking about it and you're using a platform, then that's good action. Not all action necessarily has to be yelling at people. And and for me and my communication style, I think people shut down when they get yelled at and then they automatically become defensive. And so for me, in my thinking- uh, yelling and protesting with a sign doesn't work for me because I don't feel like my communication is is being heard in the most effective way because I can I can go sit down at a table and and talk over a meal or take a walk or, you know meet in some other venue that is not combative. right? right. Yeah, and so I think there are smart ways to do things and I'm not saying that the people who hold signs and yell at people, are not smart. That's a beautiful way to take my words out of context and make an assumption. What I'm saying is that the people who hold the signs are effective for the people who have never ever heard of MMIW, you know? Right. It's it's all over the internet, but we're all in our own silos of social groups and the things we like and the things we subscribe to make a conveyor belt of our interests and very few outside interests make it into that feed because because meta and Facebook and, and Instagram are so good at tracking our behaviors. And so they only show us things that we'll actually like engage with or like or have a reaction to
1: right? There are so many different ways to not just be an Indigenous person, but to disrupt the status quo. And this is something that I've learned myself on my personal journey. Like if you were to examine me, for example, I didn't really get into advocating for anything really Indigenous until I was past the age of 25 years old. Does that make me a bad Indigenous person? Was I not out there more just being Indigenous and going about my daily life as an indigenous person and still contributing to my culture in my own unique way. But I didn't actually start speaking up about things until I was 25 because I was still in that process of reconnecting because my parents were 60s scoop. I was raised in a pretty mainstream world. However, I was raised in a city of Winnipeg, which is known for being super anti-indigenous, right? Like I had my own unique way. So Mm -hmm. to be criticized for not speaking up enough or not doing this or that. I don't think, I just don't, I never believe those types of comments because I truly believe there are so many different ways to be Indigenous. And I've seen too many people being criticized for not saying enough. For example, you can't see me right now, but I'm wearing a Trixie Mattel bathrobe right now. And she is one of my favorite Ojibwe's. And a lot of Mm -hmm. people, not a lot of people, but I did see a comment like a few months ago on Twitter being like, I hate following Trixie Mattel because she never speaks on indigenous topics. And I just thought, what a thing to say, because Trixie Mattel is disrupting her own, the status quo in her own way without doing what people think that she should be doing. She's got her own makeup line. She has acquired actual real estate in the state of California has opened a motel. Like she's creating a legacy for herself. And that Mm -hmm. to to me is total disruption because she's doing it on her own terms and in her own way yeah that level of success is is
0: really needs to be honored and celebrated yeah. and I think those comments are jealousy he's jealousy that you know you can't look at somebody and be like oh I would do it better or you Shut don't say these sit things down and,
1: yeah <laughs> yeah like you're not saying this so therefore you're not that indigenous like Trixie Mattel is an indigenous mm-hmm. person who also lifts up other makeup creators who are indigenous like Kratos Beauty, for example, she's constantly advocating for them. Like, what do people want from indigenous people? Like, I just don't get it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they want the Hollywood Indian, like, like uh, Todd. He wants to me smoketh my peace pipe,
1: and oh goodness,
0: (laughs) you know they're like, and that's what Lily referred to as well. Like, you know, is I'm I'm betting as late as the '70s, and then some. You know, even high school filmmaker right now. Is having a native character and they're just running their English backwards to make it sound like some kind of native gibberish. When there are 587 federally recognized, unique, and distinct nations in the US alone, not counting Canada, there's 200 and is it 37 or 67 up there? And each one of us has our own ways. And that was one of the assumptions made in our comment section. Like uh, somebody thought, that all Indians are casino Indians and rich and then stealing from white people. And they're like, I'll go to this training when you give back all of the casino money to the people you stole it from. And I'm like, that's such an interesting thing to say as a descendant of a person who probably stole land from native people, but there's a justification there. I'm sure that has been handed down to him (laughs) over the generations. It's just, insanity out there like you like please don't be the person who listens to one sentence and then assume that you think you know anything about that person you know nothing I know nothing we know nothing about anybody and that's just
1: the best stance to take truly it truly is I mean anytime someone comes at me I just pause and I think okay this person going through it at the moment and I just need to reflect and like not let them get under my skin because that's what they that's what they really want right like a troll just wants to to pester us and bug us and get us off of our quote-unquote pedestal which Mm -hmm. is what a lot of people see when they see indigenous women like throwing out a, a training for a thousand bucks it really irks them in a way that I might never understand because they have this conception of us being these helpless vulnerable people maybe
0: yeah sexualized submissive Mm -hmm. you know john smith's pocahontas you know she was how?
1: how dare (laughs) we charge a thousand dollars for a training even from indigenous people themselves we get a lot of Mm -hmm. flack because of Mm -hmm. what we do we're not doing it right we're charging too much we're not really maybe that indigenous enough they they check us do you really have an indigenous perspective how Indigenous are you is a lot of the the comments that I'm Mm -hmm. seeing from other Indigenous people. Like, it needs to stop. Well,
0: what's your idea of Indigenous? And does that just apply to you? And are you applying that to everybody around you? Or are you letting people be who they are? Because Indigenous people become become all kinds of things in this world. And if I didn't have to speak up about water, and I didn't have the responsibility of protecting and taking care of water... I would be an interior decorator and I the person I am I would I would strive to be on HGTV and they would hate me for that too. Like no matter what you do out there if you're succeeding and somebody is saying something you're succeeding. Ignore those people. The only people you take any criticism from are people who are in a mentor or coach or elder position who can actually guide you. And then when you get advice Actually, like I, I try not to react right away and I try to think uh, critically, like if it's coming from a place of love and if it's coming from a place that would actually help make me better or if that statement was made to make me feel bad.
1: Right. That is something that is a skill that I, that has grown with cultural humility is being able to tell if I'm interacting with someone who is genuinely coming from a place of love or from a place of pain and is projecting on me thank you cultural humility
0: absolutely like i i have noticed projection a lot now and like and you see like you can dive through those those comments in our our advertisement and there are so many assumptions happening and navigating those and so I'm doing a little bit of cultural humility in there and I'm like, wow, that's fascinating and horribly like ignorant. And I don't say that because cultural humility, and I really try to stick to it, is no shaming, no blaming, and no name calling. And that's the hardest part. Cripes. I almost wanted to cuss, like it's that hard.
1: <laughs> it's so hard. It's like a daily <laughs> challenge for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, because it's um, you know, you're trying to it's that moment of se- the seconds before you respond, where you try to take a deep breath, maintain your grace, maintain your dignity, maintain yourself, right? Because what if it's a person who's committed to getting a reaction from you so that they can de like de-escalate your level of, of what you have achieved, whatever it is you have achieved. There's people who want to put you where you belong and they don't even know anything about you. There are so many people who tried to put me where I belong and it's like completely different worlds that they're trying to set me in. And I was just reflecting on, on boyfriends and, and how it's a really strange thing to be. This is my life. If you've met me, you've probably, I would say 85%, well, 90% because I'm a hermit. If you know me, you met me at an event that I was facilitating or working. <laughs> That's who I know. So it's just making assumptions about people is just not not a cool thing to do. I lost my thought. I was upset. Right. But you I'll can't you, like, you can't just react to things, right? You gotta take a moment and think about where this person is coming from. And that I agree, cultural humility has also been a really like the critical thinking aspect of it and thinking like what they said, where it could come from and where it could be rooted and where it could be originated from. And, you know, most times, if, if that person is not in a cultural humility training or in this lifestyle, then those questions must feel um, like you're fighting them, right? Yeah. Like, Oh, that's so interesting. Like, where did you hear that from? Like, where did you hear the prairie and N word? Who said that to you? Like, did you hear it from your grandpa? Did you hear it from your grandma? And what context was she using it in? And was she saying that to add more love and and life into your family and community? Or was she sharing something hateful and discriminatory that maintains the status quo? And right here would be a really important time to say that status quo and What people think is culture humility, like they think we're in the the training saying you're racist and you're racist and you're racist. We don't say that. Not everybody is racist, but everybody is prejudiced and discriminatory because we all have thoughts and we all have biases that come from somewhere that we have totally just been operating on mindlessly for our entire lives without ever taking a second to think of why did my folks say that? And what was the intention? And what does that do for me now? And does that make my child's life better in any way? Or does that maintain like, oh, that's just the way it is. And that maintaining of status quo, that is a systemic
1: system, systemic racism that upholds white privilege. Absolutely. I dare anybody listening to take a moment to contemplate and disrupt the scripts that are running on autopilot absolutely everywhere and just think about it you don't have to do something um, grand in the moment just just the thought and acknowledgement of the script is the very first step and maybe think about how you're contributing or spreading the script maybe and be like whoa I was doing that and that's not your fault but Now that you acknowledge, maybe you can make a a different choice the next time. Maybe you can control those assumptions next time. Maybe you can hold yourself accountable next time. I know I had to do it to myself and I still have to do it over and over again. Cultural humility is infinite. There's no there's no endpoint to it. And there's never gonna be an endpoint to self-critiquing. It's a lifelong learning process and you have to constantly practice it every day, every interaction, Mm -hmm. because our world as we know in the past three months has changed dramatically and it's gonna continue to change throughout this year even like I don't even know what's going to happen there's so much going on I constantly have to be taking that moment to be like okay Melissa don't react to everything let's just take a moment to reflect I don't want to blame or shame anybody I want to approach truly approach this from a place of love and it takes a lot of work to get to that point and not everybody's up for it like and that's Mm -mm. the hardest thing for me to swallow is like not everybody wants to do this even though how beneficial it is you know that's what really gets me but i again i have to work on acceptance i have to work on just doing my best not worrying about what everybody else is doing Mm
0: -hmm. and it's that and it is scary when you it's not critical self-reflection I think that word critical scares people it's like humility and people when people don't think of humility as like something in the realm of kindness they think of it in the realm of humiliation then that's where they the critical and the humiliation part of it like overrides their brain and that that fragility of like self-reflection is hard to do because It is, it's a really hard thing to say in all of the scenarios and all of the encounters in my life. I have not been a nice, kind, or just person. I have held people's handicaps against them. I have held people's, you know, color against them. I have assumed criminality. When seeing dark skin, and that's the U.S. systemic uh, system of racism is colorism. And that goes back to a scientific study of good baby, bad baby. When they introduced all of the babies of color and the white babies to the kindergarten class and they had them pick the good babies out and all of the children picked the white baby as the good baby.
1: Yeah, it's deep rooted and it goes far Far back. I myself mm-hmm. had to wake myself up and be like, okay, just because my skin is dark doesn't mean I am more prone to be doing bad things. Mm-hmm. And that was like a, a thought process I had to have with myself at a young age, because I, if I would have followed the script blindly, I would have thought, yeah, I'm going to do bad things. And I'm just naturally inclined to maybe join a gang when I'm in my teenage years. Yeah. Right. Like I'm going to do some I've bad, that crazy before. stuff. Right. I've like-
0: heard that before. I've been the teenage girl with the other teenage girls and they say, oh, f," they think we're going to do it anyway, might as well.
1: Right. Laughing, and I've, laughing. <laughs> I've been around that too. And I had a lot of family members go that way. And I thought, is this what we're really supposed to do as a young person? Because The script was so powerful and faithfully reproduced in the city that I lived in that I truly believe like, wow, this is really what we do. But no, that was Mm
0: -hmm. I had to
1: really critically think for myself eventually and be like, that's genuinely what I don't want it to. (laughs) Like deep down, I never wanted to do stuff like that. And I thought just because I'm brown, people think that I'm going to do that doesn't mean I have to do that. It right? was such a crazy conversation to have with your like 8-year-old self.
0: I had the same one. Like, do I do I steal this because she thinks I'm going to steal it or do I steal this because my mom only gets $300 a month before bills and I really 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 wanted a pair of stupid cheap sneakers from Kmart that we couldn't afford? Like, do I just put them on and walk out? Like I've thought of things like that before, but I haven't done them because I don't want to mm-hmm. reinforce the stereotype that they falsely believe and then i would make it true i would never be able to forgive myself for reinforcing a stereotype about people and maybe that's why maybe that's why i don't drink you know i feel like you know when i'm around i've always said like oh i'm i'm around people who have who struggle with it and so i can't right Right. Or, or I'm around a bunch of wealthy white people who think all native people are drunks and I'm going to reinforce it. If I have a glass of champagne or I really like lemon drop martinis, those are, those are fun to make. And I feel like, you know, the James Bond movies totally must've scripted me into that one, but (laughs) I went to bartending school and I, I, I like the artistry of it. They call us mixologists and, And um, but there's assumptions there that definitely determine your behavior. And I want to set the record straight because I know there are assumptions are are wild and unchecked. And if I don't say it, people will assume culture humility is not anti-white and we do not hate white people.
1: No, it's anti-racist at its core, if you really want to know. And what does that mean? Like, think about that. What does that mean when you say anti-racist?
0: Right. That's why I always
1: try and ask you. What, what do you think racism really means?
0: Mm-hmm. And then some people don't even think it exists. So. And this is, we come in all colors. Like we, we have Brown problems, but like my little sister, she's four shades darker than me. <laughs> and then, you know, we're about the same color. Like, you
1: yeah. know, we have medium Brown. Medi- problems. We're
0: me- yeah. We're the medium fry bread babies, but <laughs> uh, not dark fry bros, but it- it still comes with varying levels of, of trouble, injustice and criminality as, associated with us just for being a color. And then we get treated that way when we get walk into the store. Like I, I was excited. A friend told me that she might move to Prescott and I was like, that's so exciting. I love Prescott. There's a lake there and these, these big round like globular boulders and spires. And it's just fascinating to hike there. And I had a a racist experience there in Prescott. I went to an artist booth and it was like this Colonel Sanders looking guy with a white cowboy hat, white suit, white handlebar mustache. And his booth was beautiful. It had a bunch of native women who looked like me, same color, black hair, and they were dressed in like painted in buckskin dresses with like the shoulders slipping off in like, you know, really sensual looking poses. And it was me, my child's stroller, my dog on a leash, his father, and then my friend, uh, she's a big, tall Dutch lady. And she loves to disrupt the, the people's scripts out there. And so she does my undercover work for me and she'll like, I, I'm going to go ask what they think about Natives and they're here and she's the one who went to Sedona and was and asked one of the the jeep tour guides like what what do the native people think about this place and he said oh the reservationists scurry in here and scurry out as fast as they can because it's so holy to them that they don't want to spend much time and he said this parked with his back to a 30 room ruin Wow. Does that sound like scurrying in and the reservationist hello? Anyway, she's cool, cool ass chick, this this lady. Uh, she's six foot tall, like bright blonde, like and just badass, and like, don't treat my friend that way. And so this Colonel Sander guy, he he said, I'm he didn't even say I'm sorry. He's like, Can you guys move along? Uh you guys might be blocking customers who might want to buy something. Wow. And she was like, I'm sorry, what did you say? and she whips out her amex and she goes to the booth right next to him she's like looking for anything and she's like buying a couple hundred dollars she's like i'm gonna buy something now because this guy's a jerk uh, he kicked out the imagery pretty much like i could have been there and i could have brought in i guarantee i could have brought in another client and pretended to be the model and uh sold a painting for dude but he didn't want me there Uh.
1: I don't even want to get started on this the town of Prescott. I know that's like a major <laughs> historical like clan town. Yeah, Prescott. Need help. Uh Ooh, culture brutal. culture humility. Yeah. But and, to and... our faces, people. People will do it to our faces even.
0: hmm Yeah. This is not behind my back. This is discrimination and hateful words right to my face based on my color, my perceived class, my perceived criminality. Uh it's not like what is the word? Sub- subversive like it's not hidden it's it's something that's right there in our face and it's microaggressions and you do get freaking tired of it when it's six the sixth one of the day and no I'm not a thief and that's where you that's where people start to get fed up brown people are fed up with you thinking that and you should stop because because that's where we get White people saying, oh, natives are the most racist people I've ever met. Well, how about we're just tired of being treated like criminals when we're
1: not? And reverse racism doesn't exist just before people start flying off the handle and calling <laughs> oh us racists. God. No yes. such thing. No okay. such thing. No,
0: no. I actually have a like a large percentage. It's not a large, like I'm more than half, but <laughs> there's I like 30, 40% white. And I don't know these white people in my family. They're in pictures far, far away from me in generations that I've never the privilege of meeting and they passed before i was born but i have rich white people blood in me like i come from lord sappington and the sappington house of great britain and a french italian trapper and so i wasn't like you know in the hierarchical white people system you were probably my serf. just kidding how absurd would it be for me and my big old six foot tall brat, black hair, brown skin self to go over to Great Britain somewhere and be like, this is the house of Sappington. I'm I'm the 12th, 13th great granddaughter of Lord Sappington. Move over and and go fetch my bustle for me because I need to put my dress on.
1: They would not like that at all. No.
0: <laughs> I don't think
1: so it's just out of place right
0: like some so you'd be arrested
1: and thrown in jail and probably like beat up a little bit
0: but I'm discovering and and it's not even discovering like a new land it's just taking back my old family house what's Ooh.
1: up
0: <laughs> I didn't Crazy. know this grandpa but maybe he loved me right. um but but there's you know it, it would be absurd for me to be anti-white or hate white people there are sects and that's S E C T of white people. And those are usually religious sects that have a history of persecution of people who look like me. Those white people scare the crap out of me. And it's something that I've been working through my whole life to push myself into relationships and scenarios where I test my assumptions and I force myself to be like, These religious white people are actually very nice, open-minded and kind people and nothing like I've been told Um, or uh, the history books have said because the social constructs and the social pressure don't allow for like the direct genocide of Native people anymore. It's got to be hidden, (laughs) like in healthcare policies,
1: (laughs) Geez, there's so much going on in oh my, my brain right now. I know. Melissa, I was just gonna say, please stop my brain. Please stop it. I'm I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed with what's going on in the world. And I I've been really trying to find a healthy balance between how much. How much do I want to say? How much do I want to just keep doing my job even? And how much do I want to share publicly? Because my mental health can spiral so quickly into a deep, dark place if I get Mm -hmm. too swept up in the negative collective of what's going on in the world. And then Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel bad for retreating and reclusing and just going about my day. For example, I went out into the desert with a work friend and we did like this cool music video shoot. And then afterwards, I kind of felt guilty for having so much fun because of what's going on in the world. And I'm like, stop it. Mm -hmm. This is your life you're here for a reason. Enjoy your freaking life at the same time. There's a time and place to speak. There's a time and place where I can do my work, which is right here in this podcast with Indigenous Vision, with the MMIW retreat we have coming on. We had a great self-defense class again last night, one of our biggest turnouts, by the way. And I was like, you're doing good work. You're still contributing to the world in a positive way. Don't beat yourself up for not doing this or saying this or posting this.
0: Yeah. And don't listen to the jerks who are like, if you're not saying or doing and being like this, then then you're allowing genocide. You know what? I just came across a thing on my sign, my Facebook, the memories. And it was a sign that we had made for the Bill C-52, uh, L.A. Canadian Embassy Idle No More protest. Oh,
1: that's 10 helpful. years ago now, yeah. Yeah,
0: and it said Turtle Island genocide, 1492 to question mark. And I was like, wow, that, that picture probably needs a lot of explanation. And first of all, for all of the natives who are calling me an activist, I'm an initiated society member of a ceremonial family that's obligated to protect water people. And I take that duty seriously. I um, come from a family of water people. My name is Rain Woman. I went to school for water resources, uh, hydrology. And so it's just, I am not coming to the protest without data. I have it all. I know like very similar to city redlining, the water policies in this country uh, have not been just to the the nations that they're taking water from. And so that sign though, 1492 to when, and I thought, you know, in my mindset then is, it's really hard to talk. People don't like the word genocide. They think of world war two and the Nazis and the Jews and that scenario. And that's the only contemporary example that's allowed in the history books and documentaries and on film and on the news and we honor the veterans and we have big monuments across the united states for these world war ii veterans that fought the nazis and the genocide that was happening to the jewish people and it's really even hard like i don't see very many of them actually use the word genocide and i don't know if it's because i'm too submersed in Native history and Blackfoot history, but it's really hard to get anybody to listen to anything you say once your conversation and education or presentation enters the world of genocide, because Turtle Island has been experiencing direct federal policies of of eradication the federal government funded California Indian killers and bounty hunters and children's scalps and women's scalps and men's scalps were all worth different things. And I read something once that said that most of California's like generational wealth or that old wealth in California was first established by that grandpa who came out to Indian hunt because gold prospecting was not that fruitful it was like really rare that you become rich off of gold but mm-hmm. bounty bounty killing was a whole different story in the old west but talking about that like 90% of the california tribes are gone almost all of the east coast tribes from from maine to florida have been exterminated or removed like that's genocide we completely eliminated a whole group of people their knowledge their language their unique language nothing like Blackfoot. Their knowledge of the stars, their knowledge of plants, their knowledge of that ecosystem that they were placed in, the water, everything gone. 100 million natives on the U.S. continent at one point. And then I think in the 1800s, it was reduced down to something around 100,000.
1: It is genocide for anybody listening. Yeah. It yeah, really and it, is.
0: It's a painful, hard word to say. And and I think that we should be more comfortable saying it. And I think I'm comfortable saying it because it's been in my, my education and my upbringing for as long as I can remember. The first thing I remember learning is that the church helped the U.S. government kill Indians and then the right. ones that they couldn't kill, they sent to school. Right. And then we're learning that. 12,000 of those children are being found in shallow unmarked graves. And we were asking, you know, before the war started, we were asking about that and nobody cared
1: Mm, so much.
0: Yeah. And so I do feel, I feel for what's happening around the war and it angers me that once, once your war starts killing animals, destroying the land, destroying people, and tons and tons of people you're not fighting a war you're
1: you're committing genocide
0: and i'm blackfoot and i freaking love war and i strategize war when i go to these tops of the mountains and and i it excites me like thinking of how and where an enemy is riding in from or coming in from and how i might lure them and then my battlefield and what i have to my advantage everybody has really high emotions of of grief and depression, and anger, and we all feel so helpless. Um, yeah, just don't give in to, if you're at the the end of someone's bitter words, don't read into them and don't think that they're about you. Just think about what that person could be going through and why they're saying something and how they would justify it. And then just drop it and walk away. Like people are, are in a really, Uh, like a state of crisis people are acting all kinds of crazy and and some people you need to be careful of
1: yeah this is my first time really experiencing a a real-time war even though I've lived in Canada my whole life where we welcomed so many refugees from multiple wars in the timeline of my life this is my first time really kind of seeing it and I think that's because of technology and smartphones like this is the first time i've been exposed to it like i don't know what a bomb sounds like going over i don't know what a missile sounds like i've never felt the vibration of you know the ground shaking from a bomb and i can't even imagine what that must be like but i'm seeing people experience it and it's like shook me to my core Mm -hmm. i don't know what to do just keep call call yourself call yourself because the most
0: powerful thing you can do is call your energy back to yourself tell yourself you are okay right here, right now, and send the thoughts that you want and send that energy out that you want. Because we can't all send chaotic crisis energy out, right? We can't all be sending grief energy out. We can't all be uh, panicky and anxiety. We have to put a foot down. And I, I really believe in, in the power of energy and the power of collective thought and prayer or whatever you, um, meditation or however Mm -hmm. you gather with people and empower yourself. I believe in, in the power of gatherings. And so I try to do those little things because I feel like when I put good out into the world, it's like a little ice crystal forming and every little, connection of another water molecule on my my crystalline figure instantly is changed to something beautiful because I am consciously and intentionally putting out love. Even when I know that love will be misunderstood, called fake, called, you know, weird, you know, whatever it is, I don't care. I'm gonna do what feels good for me and putting out Love and care and compassion and a moment of understanding is how I make a difference. And that's how I stay resilient as a native woman who has experienced genocide and massacres of villages and people. My grandpa, uh, my white grandpa is where my white guilt comes from. He's the French Italian guy who led General Baker into the heavy runner massacre, the Baker's massacre. My grandpa was the scout for that how much more whiteness should I be like uh, and I've carried a lot of guilt I'm really excited to speak with cousins at an upcoming gathering like of how how that has played out for everybody because and I don't know if it's because I see the letters between joke bell and and Mary mountain chief and then Mary mountain chief and her daughter Bessie talking about this scenario and that's why I feel extra guilt for a whole village being massacred babies women children and it was brutal it was brutal mm-hmm. and so you know we just have to be be careful of how much we take in and then what we're putting out and prioritize it if i totally lose myself in becoming an activist and making every moment of my day about speaking out about palestinian freedom, and oppression, and lives that are being unnecessarily lost right now, then a little bit of my work, you know, I I do it, I'm doing it here now. But I also don't want any work on the genocide of Native Americans and the resilience and the revitalization of culture to skip a beat. I want all of us who are doing this culture and language work to keep going, not be distracted, not experience be triggered with grief and trauma again, because that will slow down the time that we have to work and our time that we have to work is really limited and critical because elders aren't around
1: forever. No. And I liked how you put that, that that's a really great way to put everything that you put out good crystallizes and spreads. And despite the odds, that's exactly what I'm committed to in my lifetime is to do as much good as I possibly can, despite the odds of everything. Despite
0: the odds. And that's our real test as people, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I think, it, I don't know where I heard it. I listen to all kinds of coaching, meditation. Like I just sent you a, a deflecting disrespectful right. people. It's a great listen. It's, yeah, you just have to pace yourself as a human because if you
1: don't, you'll get sick. You will get sick. Wow, so many emotions on like the eleventh day of twenty twenty four. There is a lot that we have to do. We're we're so busy as an organization as well. Oh yeah, a lot going on.
0: But Lily is Blackfoot. We should (laughs) just end it there.
1: (laughs) Thank you for sharing your precious time with us here on the Indigenous Vision Podcast or the Ivy Podcast as we like to call it. We are just a week away from our next cultural humility training. I have shared the registration link in the show notes for this episode. We will begin on January 23rd. That is a Tuesday. And then we'll go every Tuesday and Wednesday for the next two weeks, over 10 hours exploring the concepts and putting into practice cultural humility for you to share with the world. If you can't make that training, our next one is coming up on May 7th plenty of time to decide and figure out whether or not cultural humility is for you. Visit our website if you'd like to learn more, indigenousvision.org. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We are Indigenous Vision Media and under Indigenous Vision on Facebook. Again, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and stay safe out there. We love you.